we're excited about what is to come. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 3, verse 15. And this is a, a moment in Scripture where John the Baptist, who comes kind of before Jesus, and he's baptizing people. The Bible says he's preparing the way for Jesus to come, for the Messiah to come. And people are first experiencing John the Baptist in his ministry. And they, they quite honestly aren't really sure who this guy is because they've been waiting for a Messiah for a very long time. The people of God have been believing that a Messiah was going to come and, and rescue them and save them. And they've been holding on to that promise, but it's been a really long time. And it says, in chapter 3, verse 15, it says, The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Let's pray one more time this morning. God, I just pray over the preaching of your word this morning, God, that your presence would continue to be strong in this place as we hear your word, God. God, give us ears to hear not just what I'm saying, but what you're saying. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This week, uh, we've been ordering like a ton of stuff for the one-year anniversary. Just, you know, you go through those seasons where it just feels like the Amazon truck, just every time you see it, you know it's coming to your house. It's like those seasons where you move or you're, you're, you're putting together a nursery or a new run, ro, uh, room or something. And our girls, like they'll see out the door the Amazon truck coming down the road and they're like, Dad, there's about to be something here. There's about to be a package here. They're, they're bringing something. And so we've been constantly just bringing these packages in. But I, I had something that was for me that I had ordered that I had really been keeping my eye on. It was two-day shipping Amazon Prime is incredible. We love it. And so it was two days shipping. And, and about day three, I was like, this still has not come. And I started to get a little antsy. So I went on Amazon and it said expected today. So I'm like, okay, it's a day late. No big deal. Another day goes by. It says expected today. Starting to get a little questionable. Starting to wonder. And then after about six days, I go and I check it on Amazon. And it says it looks like this is running behind. And I'm like, yes, it does. It looks like this is running behind. And so I, I it, no more information, just like an observation. It looks like this is running behind. And so a few days later, I check it again, and it says, this item may be lost. And I was like, yeah, I was starting to kind of think that myself. So I went to, it says, you can, you can click and you can return the item. So I clicked to return the item, and it printed out a label as though I could return the item. And I was like, I can't return the item. I don't actually have the item. Like, I'm still waiting on the item. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I'm not the most patient person in the world. Like, when something is supposed to take two days and it doesn't take two days, it's like day three when I'm like, this is ridiculous. What are we, I, I mean, this is just absolutely ridiculous. What is happening here? And so I was very impatient with this whole situation. And, and it started to kind of bring this thought to my mind of, of the way that we wait for the things that we're expecting the way that we wait for the things that we're expecting. Because in these passages that we just read, the, the children of God, it says they're waiting expectantly for the Messiah. 
Now, that might seem to make sense that they would be waiting expectantly for the Messiah. This is a a cornerstone of their beliefs, a cornerstone of their hopes that this Messiah is going to come and rescue them. This Messiah is going to come and save them and redeem their people. So, of course, they would be waiting expectantly. But I think what we have to realize in this moment is that in this moment where the Bible says they're waiting expectantly, We know from scripture that God has been silent to the people of Israel for 400 years. 400 years, no prophets have spoken. Prophets were the way that people heard from God at this time. And the Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi. And then there is a 400 year lapse where there is no record of God speaking to his children. And I I wonder how you wait when it feels like God is silent. I wonder how you wait when it feels like what you are expecting is not coming. Because I don't know about you, but if it had been 400 years since I was promised something and it had not yet come, I'm not sure I would be waiting expectantly. Like four days into my package not arriving, I started to doubt whether it was going to ever come. It never came, by the way. I don't know where it is, but I started to doubt whether it was actually ever going to happen, whether it was actually going to come. I think we have a short, uh, we have a short attention span for expectation. We have a short attention span for expectation, and yet the, the children of God have waited 400 years, and they are waiting expectantly for God to still work. They see this this man coming before God. They see this man baptizing, and their first thought is still, maybe this is the one that we've been waiting for. Maybe this is the one that we had been hoping for. And see, what you have to realize at this point is generations have gone by. And so at this point, all they're really holding on to is the promises and the stories that they have been told of the people that have gone before them. They have really no personal experience to draw from. They have grown up being told that a Messiah is going to come, and yet he has not come, but they are still waiting expectantly for him. I think we need to return to to be people who wait expecting God to move, even when it seems like he's not moving. People who expect for God to move, even when it seems like he is silent. See, I think we're in a phase as a church and as a people where God wants to challenge our ordinary expectations, where God wants to challenge what we are expecting when we show up to groups, what we are expecting when we show up to church, that we're not just expecting another day where we'll sing a few songs and we'll hear a message and we'll go on our way, but what are we actually expecting for God to do when we gather as his people? And I think he wants to challenge our ordinary expectations. Because I know this is that when God wants to do extraordinary things, when God wants to move in an extraordinary way, he looks for people who are expecting extraordinary things. And we want to be a people who expect extraordinary things. But your expectation is is often determined by what you are focusing on by what you are focusing on, by where you place your focus, by what you give your attention to. And I want to kind of draw your attention to where this expectation led. Just a few chapters later, see these, these people of God were, were waiting for Jesus. They were waiting for the Messiah. And though John was not him, they were expectant and they were excited that perhaps he might be. But it wasn't very long before Jesus was on the scene. 
And I want you to see a shift that happened in the followers of God, in the people who followed God's laws, and the people that followed God's ways, that, that when Jesus actually came on the scene, their expectations shifted to invitation. That their expectations shifted to invitation. That now they realized that Jesus was here, he was in their midst, and so they didn't just have to expect that he would come, but they were actually invited to be a part of what he is doing. And what we have to realize is that we are still living in that reality, that we are still living in the reality that Jesus Christ has come and that, and that he has invited us into the work that he is doing. See, I think there's so much power in an invitation. So many of your lives have been affected by invitations in ways that you may not even attribute to an invitation. In my own life, years ago when I was just in my first year of college, my, my dad's church was taking a trip overseas to do some ministry, and he invited me to go with him. And then it turned out we didn't quite have enough people to fill out the team that we needed, and so he invited some friends of his from another church who invited Kristen, who is now my wife. But on that trip, we, we knew of each other. We had actually met each other when we were really little, but we had no relationship at all. But on that trip, we were kind of put in charge of doing music together and very quickly we started dating and now we're obviously married. We have three beautiful kids, but it all started with an invitation to go. And see, what I think you have to realize is that God's invitation to go leads you a lot more places than you realize it's going to lead you. It brings a lot more things into your life than you realize it will bring into your life. See, every relationship that you have is deepened by invitation. Every relationship you have is deepened by invitation. See, you might have acquaintances, and acquaintances are people that when you see them, you acknowledge each other. You acknowledge each other. You say hello to each other. You might have some informal conversation. But, but when it's time to really get to know somebody, like if you want to really start a relationship with somebody, at some point there has to be an invitation. At some point, someone has to say, hey, why don't we go get together and, and have dinner? Why don't our families get together and have lunch? Why don't we take this to the next step? Every relationship is deepened by invitation. And Jesus is inviting us into the work that he is doing. But see, there's, there's a step that's kind of even further than just this, this acquaintance step where we acknowledge and then there is this relationship step where we invite, but there is a step that is even further that we can take in our care for each other, in our love for one another, in our relationship with one another. There is a level of relationship where we actually bring people along with us. And there's a difference between an invitation and bringing someone. Because when you invite someone... You've just let them know that they're welcome and they may or may not come. But when you take the next step to actually bring them, you are in a sense taking responsibility for them being in that place. And so just a few chapters later, there's this moment where, where some friends have an opportunity to be in the presence of Jesus. And it says this in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. It says, one day, as he was teaching, this is Jesus, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. 
When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. We have seen remarkable things today. It is my prayer and my desire that when we gather as a church, that we can leave this place and say those words, that we can leave this place and say, we have seen remarkable things today. Not just we sang some good songs, not just we had a good church service, but we have seen remarkable things today. And it all happened because a group of friends was willing to bring someone in need to the feet of Jesus. They were willing to carry someone in need to the feet of Jesus. But see, carrying someone requires a lot more effort than just inviting someone. Bringing someone carries a lot more effort than just inviting someone. See, I always worry about bringing people to things because I like to leave things early. I like to like get out, you know, like I like to always know. I'm the kind of person that makes sure I park where like I'm not going to get blocked in. There's no way I'm going to get blocked in. I will park like a mile away before I get blocked in somewhere because when I'm ready to go, I'm ready to go. And I don't, want, I don't want to take someone with me who's a lingerer. I don't want to take someone with me who's hanging out longer than I want to hang out because when I'm ready to go, it's time to go. I want to go. See, when you bring someone with you, it's a little more inconvenient. It requires a little more effort. Bringing someone with you introduces obstacles to something that could be very easy. It introduces obstacles to something that could be very simple. And there are some obstacles that these friends faced when they decided to bring this friend to the feet of Jesus. And there's the obvious obstacles in the story, but I think there's also kind of these underlying obstacles that we all face that we don't necessarily acknowledge. And the first is just the way that they viewed the opportunity to meet with Jesus. See, they viewed this opportunity to meet with Jesus in a very unique way. See, Jesus was like it at this time. He was preaching and he was speaking and he was performing miracles and everybody wanted to be around Jesus as evidenced by the house that was so full they couldn't even get in. And when you are going to a house that is so full that you can't even get in, carrying someone on a stretcher is a bad strategy. Like you know right out of the gate, like we are not gonna be able to get into this place. We are not going to be able to brave this crowd. We are not going to have an easy time. But see, what I think we have to notice about this friend, these friends is that they had an opportunity to encounter Jesus, but they did not view it as an opportunity to get something from Jesus. They viewed it as an opportunity to get someone to Jesus. They viewed it as an opportunity to get someone to Jesus. They could have viewed this opportunity as a moment where they could have their moment with Jesus. 
They could have viewed it as an opportunity where they could step into the presence of Jesus and get their needs met. That they could step into the presence of Jesus and get what they needed, but they viewed it as an opportunity to get someone to Jesus. See, there is a maturity that takes place among believers when you start to realize that you have the opportunity to either encounter Jesus alone or to bring someone who is in need into his presence. That you can either go into his presence alone and get your needs met, or you can take someone with you who has a greater need. That you can carry someone with you into his presence. The second obstacle they faced, it says in verse 19, it says, When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles. Now, the roof and the blocked door, those are obstacles. But it's interesting that the first obstacle to get to Jesus was the crowd. The first obstacle to get to Jesus was actually the people who were listening to Jesus. They were actually there to listen to Jesus speak. And see, I think this is why, why this is important to us as a church, because there is a difference between a crowd and a community. There is a difference between a crowd of people and a community of people. There is a difference between a crowd that is in it for themselves and a community who is in it for others. See, in this moment, it was the crowd that got in the way. And what I think we have to realize is when it comes to getting people to Jesus, a crowd can get in the way, but a community will make a way. That, that this man was fortunate that he was being carried by a community that cared for him. That he was being carried by people who had his best interest at heart. See, I don't want to be a church that comes together as a crowd to get what we want out of church, but it blocks out those who really need to come in. I don't want to be a crowd that is so interested in just listening to the teachings of Jesus and getting for ourselves what we need, that all the while we're blocking the door for those who actually need the healing of Jesus, that we're blocking the doors for those who actually need to experience his presence. I think what's so interesting in this moment is that when we think about a community, it says, Jesus saw their faith. It does not say he saw the faith of the man laying on the mat. It says he saw their faith, the faith of the friends who had carried him into the presence of Jesus. See, his healing came through the faith of those who were carrying him. And I just Wonder if you have somebody in your life that you care enough about to have faith for their life transformation. If you have somebody in your life that you care enough to have faith for their healing, maybe when they don't have the faith, maybe when they don't have the strength, there's someone that you care for. Who do you have faith for? Who are you willing to carry? Who in your life is worth your inconvenience? Who in your life is worth the effort to carry them to Jesus? Is someone else's soul worth your inconvenience? Is someone else's soul worth your extra effort? Is someone else's soul worth putting ahead of your own comfort? See, the crowd mentality is very costly. The crowd mentality is very costly because the crowd crowded them out. See, the crowd says, I'm here to receive. The community says, I'm here to give. 
The community says, I'm, I'm here to give of myself, while the crowd says they're there to receive. It says he saw their faith. And I think it's an interesting way to say, because it says he saw their faith. And how do you see faith? Because the Bible also says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not seen. But I think often what we think that means is that you cannot see faith, when really what that means is that faith is acting when you can't see the end, that faith is acting when you can't see the final result. But it says here in this moment that Jesus saw their faith. And so what was it about them that allowed Jesus to see their faith? It was their actions. It was what they actually were doing. It wasn't some special look on their face. It wasn't some special way that they appeared or something that they wore. It was their actions that Jesus saw as their faith. He looked up at a roof that had been ripped off of the home and he said, that is faith. I see your faith in this moment. See, this is where the crowd mentality can get us in trouble as well because the crowd mentality often works its way out in the life of a church, in the life of believers as this kind of mentality of, I just wanna come and I just want to be fed. I just want to be fed. Sometimes I hear people say like, oh man, I don't want that like milk. I want the meat. I want to be fed. And I always point people to John four thirty four because I think Jesus is a pretty good judge of how we should act as Christians. I think he's a pretty good example of following God. And in John 4, 34, Jesus says this, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. See, Jesus doesn't say, my food is listening to the word of God. Jesus doesn't say, my food is just reading the word of God. Jesus says, my food is doing the will of God. That my food, what actually feeds me, what actually sustains me, what actually gives me life is acting on what God has asked me to do. And see, so often I think we view being fed as taking in information. But when we view being fed as simply taking in information, as simply listening to the word of God and hearing the word of God, we're at danger of becoming spiritual gluttons who actually never work out what they are hearing who actually never work out what they know. See, the Bible is clear that the mark of a follower of Jesus is that they bear fruit, not just that they eat fruit. They bear fruit, that they actually do something. See, in order to get people to Jesus, we must not function as a crowd, but we must function as a community. We must function as a community of people who realize that there are others' needs that we must place before our own. They had to get past the barrier of how they viewed this opportunity. They, they had to get past the barrier of the crowd, and they had to get past the barrier of the way it had always been done before. They had to get past the barrier of their past experience and the way it had always been done before. Because the way you enter a house is pretty self-explanatory. And they tried. They went for the door and they couldn't get in. And I think at this point, a lot of people would have given them a lot of credit that they tried. They did their very best. I mean, they carried him on a mat all this way. They took him right up to the crowd and they just, they just couldn't get in. They just couldn't get through the door. 
I think a lot of people would have stopped right there and felt pretty good about themselves. And if you told that story to other people, they would probably feel pretty good about you too, man. You expended your effort. You did everything you could. You tried. You did all that you could. But this group of friends realized that there was actually more that they could do if they could get past the way it had always been done. And so they climbed up on the roof and they began to rip the roof off of the house. I think sometimes we underestimate how destructive this was. Like sometimes I think we, we see this portrayed and it's like they make like a little hole and they lower the guy down and it's kind of like, that's it. But the, the language of scripture the way that it's translated is not how it's always said because it doesn't make as much sense in English. But if you translated it literally, it says they unroofed the roof. They unroofed the roof. I mean, can you picture what that might look like? They unroofed, there was a roof and now they unroofed the roof. It means they took the roof off of the house. And I think what's interesting about taking the roof off the house is that it shows that they were willing to get him to Jesus no matter what it cost. That they were willing to get him to Jesus no matter what. See, if you're going to get people to Jesus, it's going to require you to get creative. It's going to require you to get creative. They had to remove the barriers and it required creativity of them. It required that they do things differently. It required that they do something that they had never seen done before. See, the, the crowd mentality says that's not how we do it. The crowd mentality says, no, if someone needs to get to Jesus, we bring them through the door. But the community mentality says, no, if someone needs to get to Jesus, we do whatever it takes to get them to Jesus. We do whatever it takes to get him at their feet. It doesn't matter how it's been done before. See, I think sometimes we, we get kind of locked into this idea when it comes to inviting people, when it comes to bringing people. We get kind of locked into this mindset of like, I'm just waiting for the right time. I'm just waiting for the right opening in conversation. I know it's coming. I know it's coming. I'm just waiting for the right opening in the conversation. But what I love about these friends is that they realize that for people of faith, you don't have to see an opening for there to actually be an opening. Like you, they didn't see a way into the house. They had to make a way into the house. They had to make the opening. They had to use their hands and get dirty to make the opening. They had to get creative. See, I think often what we do is we sit back and we say, you know what? If God wants this to happen, God will make a way. And, and I, can you imagine these friends standing at the back of this crowd, holding this man on a mat and just saying, you know, if, if Jesus wants this to happen, he'll make a way. No, see, I, I think there are moments in our lives where God says, if you'll make the way, I'll do the miracle. If, if you're willing to get up on the roof and do the work and rip off the roof and lower him down, yeah, I'm going to work in his life. But it's going to take a little effort from you as well. It's going to take a little faith from you as well. See, in that moment, they had to get creative and they had to get messy. See, bringing people to Jesus is not clean. It is not messy. If you want a perfect, clean, sterile church, you will not be bringing people to Jesus that actually need him. You will not be bringing people to Jesus who actually need his touch, who actually need his healing because to get people who are far away from Jesus, who need healing, who need his restoration to Jesus, it gets messy. And what I love about this moment is that as they ripped off the roof of that place, I mean, can you imagine how distracting this is? Jesus is preaching. Like 
I'm not Jesus, but I have your attention right now. And every once in a while, a, a baby will cry or something will happen and I can see your attention move for a minute. And so I'll do something. I'll do something to get your attention, something to get it back. Just like if the baby's over there crying, I'll usually come over here and get louder. Just little things like that. I got to get something to get your attention back. But a, a, a small cry from a baby will steal your attention for a moment. Can you imagine if we're sitting here and I'm speaking and all of a sudden you heard footsteps on the roof? Like, concern number one, someone's on the roof. But then all of a sudden, sawdust starts falling down from the roof. No one's listening anymore. No one is listening. There's no way to get that back. There's no getting your attention back. And then next thing we know, the building is unroofed. Now, here's what I know about if they took the roof off this building while we were in it. If they did it without hurting us, we would all be very messy. All of us would be very messy. See, in this moment, everybody in the room was getting messy. Even the crowd was getting messy. And if we're all going to get messy, I would rather be on the side of it. I would rather be on the roof, the one doing the digging, than the one annoyed by it below. Like, I would rather be the one that's actually on my hands and on my knees, getting dirty to make sure that someone gets to Jesus, than the person sitting in the room going, what is that? this is my moment with Jesus. Like, someone is interrupting my moment with Jesus, and now I'm dirty, and now I can't see what's going on. See, the crowd always misses the moment. The crowd always misses the moment. And if we're all going to be dirty, let's get dirty carrying people to Jesus. Let's get dirty ripping the roof off of places. Let's get dirty doing things the way they haven't been done before. Let's be the ones who are willing to carry people to Jesus. This was hard work. There is no doubt that they were sweaty and they were muddy and they were tired after they ripped the roof off of the place. But what we have to realize is that when God is moving, things don't get more comfortable. They get more messy. Uh, that, that is the one thing that I have had to embrace on even just this journey of planting a church is I think sometimes even in our own lives, we get to this idea that the destination will be comfortable. That if we can just, if we can just get to where we're going, things will level out, things will be more comfortable. But the problem is that time and time again in scripture, the more God starts to move, the messier things get, the harder things get. And so we have to be willing to embrace the mess if we want to reach the people that need the presence of Jesus. Because when God is moving, things tend to get messier. They had to get creative. They had to get messy. And they had to get stronger. Listen, it was no easy task after you've unroofed a roof to then lower an adult male down to the ground with ropes on a stretcher. This was not an easy task. This was after they had carried him. This was after they had taken him all the way to the roof of the building. Kristen and I have been watching this show about the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina and what happened kind of in this one hospital. And one of the things that they realized they had to do was they had to get the patients up to the helipad of this hospital. And it was a helipad that had not been used in, in many, many years. And they really just had to hope that it was still structurally sound enough for people to get, or for helicopters to land onto the roof. But they had no power in the building. And so what they realized is that for every single patient that had to be taken out by helicopter, they had to pull them up by the sheets 
and walk them down, however many flights of stairs they were on, they had to walk them through the parking garage and upstairs all the way to the top of the helipad. And they did this for hundreds of patients over the course of five days. And there were people that were permanently injured, permanently changed because of this process that they went through of getting people up onto the roof. And see, I think of these men who in this moment of desperation had to get him to the roof of this place. And then even after they get him there, they have to lower him down. They must have been exhausted. They must have been tired. Their muscles there must have been hurting, but they knew that they were willing to give what it took to get him to the feet of Jesus. See, it requires that we get stronger that we are more willing to carry people, that we're willing to do the harder work in order to get people to the feet of Jesus. And then when they saw, or when Jesus saw their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven. I, I love this moment where in verse 20, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Because this man was not there to have his sins forgiven. This man was there to have his legs healed. This man was there to be able to walk again. This man had a very obvious physical need. Like it seems obvious in this moment that the reason we've gone through all of this trouble, the reason that we've gone through all of this effort is so that perhaps this man can walk again. But see, what we have to remember is that when we get people to Jesus who have a practical need, he's always going to also meet their ultimate need. Because Jesus could have healed this man's legs and he could have walked out of there. But even walking out of there on his own two feet, he would have walked away in no better condition than he came in. Jesus knew that it wasn't just about healing his body, but that it was about healing his soul. That, that, that what he really needed was the forgiveness of sins. And this is what we must never lose sight of, is that when we bring people to Jesus, we want to see their lives get better. We want to see, see families restored. We, we want to see marriages restored. We want to see parents who maybe are estranged from their kids coming back to their kids. We want to see those things, but not at the expense of seeing people restored to Jesus. We want to see their ultimate needs met before their practical needs. But this is what I know, is that if we will do the hard work of getting people to the feet of Jesus, he will do the miracle of bringing them closer to him. He will do the miracle of bringing them closer to him. See, we have an opportunity to carry people to Jesus each and every week, each and every day that we walk in here. We can walk in here as a crowd we can think throughout the week of this service how a crowd would think about this week, or we can think about it like a community. We can, we can think all through the week, man, who needs to be in the presence of Jesus? Who in my life needs to be in the presence of Jesus? Who in my life can I carry? Who in my life can I pick up? Who in my life can I say, listen, I'm gonna be at your house at 9.30 and I'm gonna actually bring you you're actually coming with, I'm gonna bring you with me and then I'm gonna take you to lunch afterwards. I'm gonna bring you into the presence of Jesus. See, I think the next phase of what God has for our church is that we have to go beyond just being inviters and we have to be people who bring. 
We have to be people who take that extra effort, who take that extra inconvenience, who actually say, listen, you're coming with me. I'm bringing you into the presence of Jesus. And we can trust that he will do what only he can do, that, that he will bring the life change. See, I think sometimes we get discouraged because we take on too much of the responsibility. We get discouraged because we think, man, what, what if I bring them and nothing happens? What if, what if I bring them and, and nothing changes? What if, I, what if I bring them and, and they leave and they don't like it? And then they don't like me. And then things are weird. But what if you bring them and Jesus does what he does? What if you let go of that weight of responsibility and you just said, God, I'll get them here. I'll get them into your, I'll get them into your presence. God, will you just do the work that you will do? Will you just do the work that only you can do? See these people that carried this man on the mat, they did everything they could. They had no power to heal his legs. They had no power to forgive his sins. They had no power to do anything that he needed, but they did have the power to do what they could do. They did have the power to bring him to the person who could. They did have the power to bring him to the one that could heal his physical need and heal his spiritual need. See, it's actually, it actually is a lot of work. It actually is an inconvenience. It actually is effort from us. But in the grand scheme, it's so much easier than what, how, we, how we often picture it. We're not responsible for the outcome. We're responsible for our obedience. We're not responsible for the outcome. So we, we, we have to let go of that weight of responsibility for the outcome. And we have to embrace the responsibility of our obedience. God, I'll get them there. And I'll trust you. I'll trust you to do the work. God, if they walk out and it seems like nothing changes, God, I'll trust that a seed was planted. God, if they walk out and it seems like nothing changes, I'll trust God that the seed was planted and that someone else will water it. But, but I was obedient. I got them to your feet. I got them into your presence and I was obedient. And so I can rest in that. I can rest in that. We have to let go of the weight of the responsibility of outcome and trust God with it. See, this, this man walked away with more than he could have ever imagined. He, he, was, he was hoping for a better physical life. He was hoping that he would walk out of there on his own two feet. And he, he walked out of there on his own two feet, but he also walked out of there with his sins forgiven. And what I love about this moment is that the crowd saw this and said they were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. See, the crowd experiencing remarkable things may just come as a result of your obedience. It may just come as a result of you being willing to to be a little extra and rip the roof off the place and bring someone to the feet of Jesus. See, what happens so often is when someone just takes the initiative, when someone just takes that next step, suddenly the crowd starts to get the hunger to be a community. The crowd starts to get a hunger to say, oh, there's more to this. Like we were satisfied listening to his teaching, but now we've seen his work. We've seen him actually do what he says he can do. 
And I don't want to be a church that's satisfied with just sitting and listening. I don't want to be a church that's satisfied with just hearing. I want to be a church that says, no, we're going to get people to the feet of Jesus and we're going to believe in him to do the work that only he can do. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?